uh, you're going on vacation, and you finally get there. And what do you ask? Well, what's the purpose? Why are we here? Maybe you're there to see something. Maybe you're there to relax. Maybe you're there just to get away. You have a goal at the end of a journey. Well, we've come to the end of the Psalms of the Ascent, and these Psalms remind us that we are on a journey through our lives with God. And you'll remember that these 15 Psalms, they begin in Psalm 120 and run all the way through Psalm 134, they were sung and prayed by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem as they traveled to the temple in celebration of the three main festivals of the ancient Hebrew people. And so these pilgrim songs, they, these road trip prayers, they kind of acted like a soundtrack for the people of God back then, reminding them that they were a people on the way with God and preparing them in hearts and minds for the worship that they would experience when they arrived at the temple. And so what they did as they went on that geographical journey, we want to do on our journey with God, wherever we find ourselves, regardless of our geography. I think a great goal for every day of our lives is to be filled with the right soundtrack, so to speak, so that we have our, our hearts and our minds attuned to God, who he is, to his purposes, and to what he's doing in this world. And so we come to this final Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 134, and we want to explore some key questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean for us now? And how can we allow Psalm 134 to shape our discipleship, our faith journey with the living God? And so I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to please stand with me as we read Psalm 134. Please stand. Psalm 134, a song of ascents. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the psalm begins with a blessing. But before it begins with the blessing, it begins with the word behold. I like that word, behold. It's, uh, it's the translation of a little Hebrew word that, that's uh, an emphatic call to attention. We might say, wake up, listen up, check this out, behold. And so I want you to picture with me the long journey of ascent towards Jerusalem for all those people who have arrived. Some have come from, from Jericho to the east, while others have come from Galilee to the north. And just imagine doing a, a multi-day road trip by foot over rough terrain with multi-generational families. You might be able to hear all the noise and the hubbub of the, these extended families and relatives and neighbors. There are those there that you love deeply and there are those there that you love a little less than the others. As any journey will create tension, right? But now you've arrived. You're there. But you're tired. But it's time to worship. It's time for the celebration to begin and everybody has to snap to attention for the task at hand. Behold, 
The celebration in Jerusalem begins in the morning and it goes through the night for seven days. And sometimes the people get tired. But now is the moment to take notice, to be fully engaged. So behold, now the purpose for which the people have journeyed all this way is at hand. And what is that purpose? Well, it's none other than to praise the Lord, to bless the Lord. The word bless here in this verse, it helps us to to see something about the balance of the psalm. It begins in verse one with God's people blessing God. And it ends in verse three with God blessing his people. And that's an important rhythm within the journey with God that we need to remember. You know, we don't maybe often think about how we can bless God. Have you ever thought about that? Well, here's what that means. You know, usually we're focused on seeking God's blessing. Isn't that right? God bless me. God help me. God lead me. God speak to me. And we're asking from God. But to bless God is something different. It means to to revere God, to adore God, to praise God, to thank God. It means recognizing God for who he is and for what he has done. And then to to go one step further, to verbalize that from the depths of our souls, an appreciation, a respect for God Almighty. Blessing God, praising God is both seeing who God is and saying who God is. To see and to say. And that's important because, you know, it's one thing to know something about God in your head. But it's a whole nother thing to say aloud, God has been merciful to me. I can count the ways that he has been gracious to me in my life. You see, until we give voice to it, our praise never really reaches its fullness. What, you know, when we encounter another person, And we open our mouth and we say something like, God is so good. And here's how I've experienced it. You know, that can be a powerful moment. When we gather together corporately with others, as we've done this morning, and we raise our voices and we sing praise to him, you know, there's something very powerful when that happens. That's a a significant part of the purpose of our spiritual journey with God to see who God is, and to say who God is. And so pay attention. Behold, now is the time to see who God is and say who he is so that all might hear and know. Now there's another aspect to this psalm that we might miss if we just read it and move on. I want you to understand that this psalm is a call and response song. The the language used here, all you servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord, that's addressed to the priests, the priests who minister all day and all night in God's house, the temple. And so here, it, it seems to be that the congregation of the people, those that are gathered for worship, are calling out to the priests to lead them in worship. In the first two verses of this psalm. And so then in verse 3, the priest responds to that call. And what do they do? They offer a blessing back to the people. And so again, I want you to imagine the scene here with me. 
People have taken this pilgrimage journey to Jerusalem from all around the, the country and really the known world. And now thousands of them are standing in the courtyards of the temple of Jerusalem. This is the, the culmination of their journey. And the worship festivities have, have been occurring all week long. The priests are tired. They've been working hard, making sacrifices, leading in worship. The people are tired. And here they are, assembled for an evening worship gathering. And then the community enters into this call and response moment. A call and a response. Now, you know what a call and a response is, even if you don't think that you do. It's when parties call back and forth to one another, kind of echoing a theme as it builds in excitement and energy until it reaches a zenith. This happens all the time in sports stadiums all across the land. The cheerleaders will call out something of a theme and the crowd will respond, echoing back the theme. If you've ever been down here at Autzen Stadium, what do they do? They'll say, go! What do they say? Ducks! Or if you're a beaver fan. I don't know what they say up at Reeser. What is it? Go beavers. I don't know. Go. Let's try it, all right? I'm going to say go and then you call out your favorite team, all right? Go! Let's try it again. Go! I hear the beavers. I hear the ducks. Good job. Now, I know that seems a little strange, that, that call and response, but it, it's a chant. And what is it trying to do? If you're at the game, if you're at the, the people are gathered and you're trying to usher in a new reality, it's like if we shout this out, it's going to inspire the team to persevere or to overcome with victory. And so the call and the response is a hopeful call for something different to happen. Well, that's what Psalm 134 is. That has the call and response element of worship and praise of God. But what I want you to see here is that it's in the reverse order of what we might think it normally is. The call in verse one, it's not coming from the mouths of the worship leaders, the priests. The call comes from the, the crowd the assembly of the people who have ascended to Jerusalem. And now here they are in those great courtyards at the worship place in the temple and they're calling out to the priests, behold, wake up priests, lead us in worship. All you servants who have been working all night long, lead us in praise before God here in the house of God. That language, all you servants, it's very descriptive, isn't it? It's descriptive of the Levitical priest. And that's how they were described all through the Old Testament. That's their activity. And so we know that this is the congregation calling out to the priests. It's as if they'd been saying, we've been on this long journey and we need you to lead us to God just now. And then as we get to verse 3, there's that response back from the priest to the people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And so it's the back and the forth, the call and the response, calling the people into a new reality. It, it, it's a, and it's a reminder to us that when we bless God, when we praise him, in a sense, we're stepping into his presence. We remember who he is. We see who he is. We say who he is. And we call each other back and forth to worship.
It is speaking the truth that we are here in the presence of a good and a great God who is like that all the time. God is always good. And we are ready to worship him. And that's what's happening in Psalm 134. Now there's something else I want you to see that happens. When we invite each other, call one another into a response before God as we travel this journey of life with God, we need this. And that is that we come into his presence and we praise the holy God with holy hands. Verse 2, lift up your hands. The lifting up of hands was a common practice for the Hebrew people in prayer. It's still a common practice in parts of the Middle East and in many areas around the world today. When King Solomon, the son of David, dedicated the temple at its construction, the scripture tells us that he stood before the people and he raised his hands before God and he called out for God to set apart that place for worship and ask God to come and inhabit that place, to live amongst them in that temple. Now, when we raise our hands in worship, what are we doing? We are acknowledging who God is. We're saying, God, you are awesome. The lifting of hands is an expression of praise, but it's also an expression of humility and of need. God, I need you. To raise our hands is to signify that God is greater than I am. And it is a physical way of getting out of ourself, away from our personal preferences, out of our comfort zone, if you will, to show our honor to God. Well, there's another important aspect of the raised hand, and that is that when the, the Old Testament priests prepared to lead the people in worship, they had to consecrate themselves. Now, that word, consecrate, simply means that they had to cleanse themselves to prepare to lead in worship. This was because the priests were seen as standing between God and the people. They were mediating an encounter with God. And because of this, they needed to be right and clean and holy. They even had to wear special garments as a sign of being clean and fit for the task of leading in worship. And so when they would come before the people, they would lift up their hands as if to say, God, I am clean before you. I don't carry anything wrong into your presence. Many years later, when the Apostle Paul was writing to his young protege, the preacher Timothy, he had this in mind when he wrote these words in 1 Timothy 2. He said, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. What a beautiful picture of God's people coming together and lifting up hands as if to say, we are clean. The lifting up of the hand is a sign The hands become a sign of our lives as we stand blamelessly before God. Now, how does that work? Well, for those of us who stand on the other side of Jesus, it's a little bit different than for those ancient Hebrew people. We stand on this side of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we understand that no one is able to enter into the presence of God on their own. No one can truly be clean 
We need a cleansing from beyond ourselves, from God. And that is what Jesus did at the cross. He cleanses us from the power of sin. He cleanses us from the the stains of guilt and shame. He cleanses us from the evil that grips us and the punishment that we deserve so that we can stand in God's presence cleansed through the blood of Jesus and covered in his righteousness. And we can lift up holy hands. And so when we lift our hands in worship, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're having some sort of an emotional experience. It means, among other things, that we are calling out to God with a physical expression of our desire to be holy before God through Jesus Christ. And we're there with a gratitude for the holiness that is provided to us because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Well, the next thing we see in Psalm 134 is a call to the priests to go into the temple, into the sanctuary, into the holy place, to lift up their hands. The Psalms of Ascent lead to that temple, to that place. Well, as Christians, we know that in Christ Jesus, our earthly journey. It's not towards a a place, is it? It's not towards a building, a location, but a new temple that will be fully revealed in the new heavens, in the new earth. And so how much more significant is this new reality that through Jesus Christ, our spiritual journey with God is not locked into a geographical location. We don't have to go to a particular building to access God. In fact, we're not constrained to worship God in a temple at all. We are given free access to the Father because of Jesus. The Hebrew writer puts it this way in Hebrews 4, in chapter, verse 16, he says, we approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so now every single place we put our feet is a holy place unto the Lord. If you're riding the bus on your way to school or work in the morning, that can be a holy place where you can encounter the living God. If you're on your morning commute in your car, that can be a holy place where you encounter the living God. If you're walking down the hallway of your office or your school or the sidewalks of your neighborhood, that can be a holy place where you encounter the living God. Jesus stands eternally with his hands raised to the Father so that we can boldly approach God's throne of grace where mercy and help are offered where they're found in our time of need. That is our new reality. So approach the throne of grace. Lift up your hands high. You you might not want to do that on the bus or in your car, but express your need through praise to God. God, I see who you are. I want to say who you are. My life, Lord, is a response to your generous grace and love. And then finally, we get to verse three. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the response of the priests who have been invited to lead the people into worship. Zion, of course, is the place of God's presence 
that, that's Jerusalem. It's specifically the Temple Mount where God was seen to dwell. And yet for those of us that are here today, because of Jesus, it's different than simply that geographical place. He, he, listen to how the Apostle Peter wrote about Zion, our Zion in his first letter. He says to these early Christians, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you see that beautiful picture of the Old Testament ancient Hebrew worship. Peter translates that into Christianity. And we don't go to a temple. We are the temple. We don't need a priest to mediate between us and God. We are the priests. We're invited into God's eternal family where God's blessing is accessible and it's available because of what Jesus does for us. And so the song ends with the same theme that it began with, blessing. The Hebrew word for blessing is baraka. I want you to listen to Eugene Peterson as he describes blessing. He says, blessing describes what God does to us and among us. He enters into covenant with us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joy of his redemption. He empties himself among us and we get what he is. That is blessing. May the Lord bless you from Zion. The Psalms of Ascent are all about a community journey. Remember that the men and women, the boys and girls, those multi-generational families and neighbors, they would all join together on that journey. That's a picture, folks, of our journey today as God's people. We need one another. And that's not just some sappy slogan that we throw around. It is a deep truth rooted in life with God. Every image of the church, the people of God in the New Testament, is an interactive, interdependent, relational image. The image of a body, a family, a building, a household, a flock, an army, a bride with her bridegroom. Those pictures all show us that the church is an interdependent grouping together of God's people so that we can stay on the pathway with God, so that we don't fall off the pathway, so that we don't give up during the journey. We need one another so that we can keep going. You know, one of the most important activities that we can do as the people of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, is to live out the call and response we call out to one another that it is time to come. Praise the Lord. Behold. But folks, to do that, we have to call one another. When we gather for worship, we live the call. and We live out the response. When someone among us is grieving, we call to them and urge them to live the response of faith in the comfort that only Jesus can offer. When someone is joyful, we call to them and share that joy. The joy of the Lord, which is our strength. 
When someone among us falls into temptation and sin, we call out to them and encourage them to choose the light of Christ instead of the darkness of the evil one. When someone breaks free of addiction, we call out to them to share their story and we shout back a response of praise because we serve a God who delivers us. And so the call and the response, they help us to know where we are and where we're going next in the journey of faith. And folks, we can't make it on our own. As we seek to journey with God in life, may that truth propel us forward as we group together as the family of God. May the blessing of Zion fall upon you this week as you serve the living God. Let's pray together. Father, thank